The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Podcast, November the 1st, 2006. In this edition, Blu-ray versus HD DVD format war predictions, iPod docking systems from Bush and Tiak, and Sling Player mobile phone TV gadgetry. Plus, we look at Jersey Girl on HD DVD, Monster House on Blu-ray, and Slither on DVD. And for gamers, WWE Smackdown vs. Raw 2007 on the Xbox 360, and Guild Wars Nightfall on the PC. This week's, this week's, this week's audio visual news. news. Sorry, folks, but we really have no choice but to start this week's podcast news with some market analysis. Yes, we know this is usually about as interesting as a documentary on coal mining in Outer Mongolia, but bear with us as we really think that this time the pundits have something interesting to say, especially given all the Blu-ray bashing that's been going on lately. For yes, a seemingly independent media sector analyst called Understanding and Solutions has been willing to overlook Blu-ray's current problems with pricing and the PS3 delay to predict that Blu-ray and not HD DVD is best place to win the high-definition disc format war. UNS's analysts predict that while standalone Blu-ray and HD DVD players together will achieve around 14% household penetration by 2010, with PC drives accounting for another 4%, the Xbox 360's HD DVD drive will only have a 2% penetration, while the PS3 will enjoy a massive 16% penetration. In terms of units sold, that means just 2 million Xbox HD DVD drives versus 28 million Blu-ray playing PS3s. The analysts add that they see Blu-ray bolstering its simple PS3-inspired sales advantage by having more players from more brands out there in the marketplace, as well as more movie studio support. Of course, there's always a point where market analysis stops being science and starts becoming out-and-out guesswork, so obviously none of Understanding and Solutions' predictions can be taken as gospel. In fact, we ourselves think the impact of Microsoft may have been significantly understated in Understanding and Solutions' figures. But the suggestion that the PS3 might not fare anything less as badly as some other pundits are suggesting received at least a little backup this week from the fact that people have been queuing around the block in the US not to buy the console, but just to place their $100 deposits before the console launches there on November the 17th. And buy it now prices on eBay for the PS3 are apparently already running as high as $10,000. That's just utter madness. Moving away from the world of forecasts, statistics and eBay optimists to something a whole lot more tangible. We've come across a couple of neat new solutions this week for getting your music out of your iPod and into your living room. If you're on a tight budget, Bush has its battery-powered IP001 iPod speaker system, complete with 2 times 5 watts output and a docking cradle compatible with most types of iPod and iPod minis. Since it can be battery-powered, the idea behind the £80 system is that it can be used pretty much anywhere, inside or outside, weather permitting, of course. TIAC, meanwhile, have come up with an equally convenient but totally different solution to the same iPod problem. The IWC5i is effectively a clever little tool that transforms any first-generation iPod Nano into a handy remote control unit for a docking station connected to your Hi-Fi. 
Your Nano slots into a special handset, complete with provided rubber cover, and can then pass control and song data via Bluetooth to a bass unit hooked up to your ordinary hi-fi via a standard stereo audio output. So you just choose what you want to play on your Nano, and the songs blare out from your hi-fi without a connecting wire in sight. The price for this little slice of Nano wizardry, just £99. Our last bit of news this week concerns the latest step down the road towards making your home TV channels available to watch no matter where you are in the world. We're guessing that many of you are already familiar with Sling Media's fantastic Slingbox, a sort of gateway between the internet and your own home sky cable or freeview receiver, which allows you to access all of your TV programmes and even your recordings via a laptop wherever you happen to be. Well, now Sling Media have joined forces with Symbian, the leading name in open operating systems for smartphones, to allow the Slingbox approach to work with smartphones as well as laptops. The so-called Sling Player mobile system frees the Slingbox experience from the need to have a broadband internet connection nearby and should work with standard network connections such as 3G and Wi-Fi. Apparently, the system should come online by this Christmas, and as anyone who's had to put up with having BBC World as the only English-speaking channel in the hotel room will confirm, the service really can't come soon enough. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. From AV Play, it's this week's DVD and HD news and reviews. Welcome to this week's DVD news and reviews. Coming up, we've got reviews of Monster House on Blu-ray disc, Jazzy Girl on HD DVD from Japan, and Slither on Region 1 DVD. But first, it's time for the news and Seth Gecko. Well, first up, we've already covered The Devil Wears Prada coming out on Region 1 DVD in December. Well, it's been announced that it will also come out on Blu-ray with a DTS HD lossless master audio track. But that's not the only title that's coming out on December the 12th from Fox. We also have From Hell with Johnny Depp, Flight of the Phoenix, Rising Sun with Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes, and Transporter 2. All of them will have DTS HD lossless audio tracks, which is an actual surprise because I believe that it's the first time that the Blu-ray disc has actually had this. All of the titles will retail for $40, which will be around about the 1999 mark over here. And staying with Blu-ray, Sony have unofficially announced their Blu-ray lineup for the UK in the coming months. From the 13th of November, you can expect Gattaca, Hitch, Into the Blue and Stealth. From the 4th of December, you have Metropolis, which is an anime title, the god-awful Mel Gibson The Patriot and Snatch. From the 11th of December, you can expect Layer Cake and Monster House, which is the same day-and-date announcement on DVD. And looking further ahead into 2007, you also expect Tagadela Knights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, Black Hawk Down, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Click, A Knight's Tale, RV, Open Season, All the King's Men, 51st States, Kung Fu Hustle, and Triple X. Well, staying with Blu-ray for a second, it's been announced that HD DVD and DVD owners will get the Superman movie and Superman 2 The Richard Donner cuts available for their formats. But it's also been announced now that Blu-ray will also get them on the same date, which is November the 28th. In terms of extras, you'll get exactly the same as the other versions, and those titles will have an RRP of around $29. 
And lastly on Blu-ray, we have a few unconfirmed rumours. Fox have uh, apparently announced, unofficially, that on January the 23rd, they'll be releasing Alien vs. Predator, Courage Under Fire, Men of Honor, and the evil that is Commando. Also, it has been announced that on the UK Blu-ray format, we should see the Da Vinci Code sometime at the beginning of February. And moving on to Region 2 DVD, and Channel 4 has announced the release of Peep Show Series 3 from the 6th of November, priced at 19.99. Featuring David Mitchell and Robert Webb from the comedy duo Mitchell and Webb, funnily enough, Mark and Jeremy return for more dysfunctional antics in the third series of this Golden Rose winning sitcom. The disc will feature a 178 to 1 anamorphic transfer, English Dolby Digital Stereo, and the disc will also feature an audio commentary and deleted scenes as the extras. Also released on the same day and date is Peep Show Series 1 to 3 box set, which will be priced at £30. And finally, on Region 1 DVD, Universal have announced The Black Dahlia coming out on the 26th of December. The movie is based on the novel by James Elroy and is directed by Brian De Palma and has a star-studded cast including Aaron Eckhart, Josh Hartnett and your favourite Phil, Scarlett Johansson. The movie will have a Dolby Digital 5.1 surround track and various extras including reality and fiction, the story of The Black Dahlia. As most people will know, even though the book is a work of fiction, the actual murder behind it is based on fact. We also have an extra called the De Palma Touch, which is an insight into how Brian De Palma brought his unique and shocking visual style to this movie. The price of this disc is going to be $30, and if you're a fan of Scarlet as Phil is, $30 is too cheap. Far too cheap. And that's your DVD news for this week. This week's DVD Reviews. This week's DVD review is for the movie Sliver. Sliver is a homage to the old 50s movies such as The Blob, with an element of Romero's zombie movies. The premise is a meteorite crash lands on Earth and infects one of the residents uh, with the contents of it, which is effectively some form of alien. He then impregnates a female, who then gives birth to a lot of parasitic worms that then take over the town by infecting all of the residents. So you can see that it's a half-demon seed type movie, uh, or the parasite, etc., half-zombie movie. And it's down to the sheriff of the town, who's played by Nathan Fillion of Serenity fame, to combat the monster and win the day and the girl. Transfer-wise, it's very pleasing. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a very new film. It doesn't suffer from any dust or scratches or compression artefacts. It's a very dark movie because a lot of it is set at night, but this isn't to its detriment at all. The audio track is also very good, with a Dolby Digital 5.1 track, which is very engaging at all times. And the dialogue is crisp as well. So what did I think of this film? Well, I loved it, but it is a love-hate movie. There are a lot of people that are not going to appreciate the fact that it's a complete homage, a complete send-up of these old 50s gems, or the old 80s gems in terms of, like I said, Parasite. Seth, I've heard it said that this film's very much like Shaun of the Dead in terms of it being a comedy horror. Would that analogy work? Sort of. Whereas um, Shaun of the Dead plays to the strengths of a knowing audience for various um, everyday scenario, um, you've only got to think of the bit where uh, Shaun goes out and gets effectively breakfast and is asked to get a Cornetto. We can all relate to that. This is a somewhat different sort of comedy horror. There's a lot of schlock horror involved um, and some very, very witty lines plus the general premise of the scenario in terms of how everything's done, how the worms manifest and so on and so forth. It's 
a very good comedy, but you have to know the references and you have to get it. So it all sounds like good popcorn fun, so what do you score this one as? Well, I have to agree with you. It's absolutely brilliant popcorn fun, especially if you get it. I'm going to give this a solid 8 out of 10. This week's HD DVD review. And the beauty with HD DVD at the moment is the fact that it doesn't have regional coding, which means this week's HD DVD review is from Japan and is a Kevin Smith romantic comedy, Jersey Girl. So tell us a little bit about the disc, Seth. Well, for those who don't know, the movie is a, is about a guy called Ollie who's played by Ben Affleck. Now, he gets married, as most people will know because of the hype regarding the film, to Jennifer Lopez's character, but the good news is, is in about 15 minutes into the movie, she dies. And he's left, basically, with um, a child and no wife. He then finds himself jobless as well, as he effectively trashes a client in front of the press. He then moves in with his father, and he begins to find that his life is turning around when he meets another girl called Maya, who's played by Liv Tyler. Picture-wise, I was completely disappointed with this. Although it is much better than the DVD version of the movie, it's still not indicative of a great HD transfer. Having said that, the colours are much better than the DVD, we don't have the haloing problems, and it's still a touch grainy. However, this is a low-budget movie. It doesn't have the huge budget that movies such as um, Smith's Giant Silent Bob Strikes Back had, and I'm not surprised that it has that touch of graininess to it. But it does add to its charm somewhat. Audio-wise, this is again a rom-com, and as I said before in uh, last week's podcast, rom-coms don't lend themselves to particularly dynamic soundtracks. All that you have to really worry about is that you get the vocals right, and the dialogue on this is particularly good. Smith, however, does have a good ear for a mute movie soundtrack, and the songs on display here are very good, and you'll find yourself humming along to some that you know, and enjoying the ones that you don't. So Seth, the roundup, what kind of score did you give this one? The biggest problem most people are going to think of going into this movie is it's going to be a romantic comedy involving Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's character, but by the end of it you realise that it is nothing to do with those at all, it's more to do with him and his daughter, and that's typical because Kevin Smith wrote this in regards to the relationship with him and his daughter. Like I said, not many people cared for the movie, but I do enjoy it. I'm going to give it, even though it has not got the best soundtrack or the best picture for HD DVD, still a healthy 7 out of 10. This week's Blu-ray review. And now it's time for this week's Blu-ray review. And one thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is computer animation in high definition. And this week we review Monster House. I have seen the trailers, but for those of us who don't know anything about this movie, Seth, just uh, give us a quick run-through. Well, Monster House is one of those movies that does as it says on the tin. It's basically about three kids called DJ, Chowder and Jenny who find out that the house across the street from DJ is actually alive. Not only is it alive, it's a monster. The basic thing with the movie is that it's not quite clear-cut as that. There is an actual guy that used to live in the house who appears to die during the actual movie. At the point that he dies, the house is left on its own, and therefore it is allowed to run amok. So I'm really looking forward to seeing computer animation in high definition. You've had a chance to look at this disc, Seth. How does it look? Well, the colours are bright and vivid, and everything looks sharp and spiffy. The only hiccup is, is it looks grainy, and a lot of people are going to start going on about encoding. 
However, I know that this is not a fault of the transfer or the media. This is actually intentional by the filmmakers. It was given this graininess to actually appear like it was on original film stock and to take away from it being a computer animated movie. Of course, there is going to be no damage to the print in any shape, size or form because it's based in the digital domain, so it's a completely digital transfer. Sound-wise, it has a Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtrack, or the uncompressed version. Unfortunately, I'm not able to assess the uncompressed track. However, the Dolby Digital soundtrack is very good, with very effective use of the surrounds, and very deep, booming bass when it's needed, particularly at the end of the movie, when the house goes on a complete rampage. So while we wait to see Open Season, which both of us have actually seen the, the high-definition trailer on Blu-ray for that one, how does this one stack up for the time being looking at computer animation in high def? Well, compared to the open season trailer, it doesn't, but that's because of the actual um, after effect of the filmmakers, the unintentional grain. The other thing I found with it is the animation made of humans is nowhere near as good or as effective as, say, Pixar's versions in The Incredibles. Having said all that, it's still a very, very good looking movie. However, the movie itself, I wasn't all that struck on. It's very simplistic, and it's not sure whether it's trying to pander to the children in the audience or if it's trying to pander to the adults, and it fails on both accounts. What we're left with is an ultimately an average movie with no real exciting features other than it is an excellent showcase for demo material. As a movie, though, I'll only give it 5 out of 10. For the biggest and best DVD and HD news and reviews, visit avplay.com. The AV Podcast Gaming News with Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. Hi, I'm Seth Gecko. And I'm Ian Collin. And this is your weekly gaming news and reviews. First up, we have the announcement that IDOS are bringing out Lara Croft Tomb Raider Anniversary. This is going to be coming out on the PC, PS2 and PSP and is effectively the original Tomb Raider game with the Tomb Raider Legends graphics engine. Ian Livingston of IDOS today said, We've captured the essence of what made the original game so special and with today's technology created a game that pushes the boundaries of the current gaming consoles. Tomb Raider Anniversary is a special celebration of Lara's reign as video gaming's leading lady. Nothing like a good bit of PR there, is there? <laughs> That'll do anything. Anniversary. It's not 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 a rehash, is it? Not at all. It's a whole new game. It's a whole new it's a whole new game that plays just like the first one, except in a nicer graphics engine. The funny thing is, is no Xbox 360 edition. Uh, no way. Or does well, that just mean they they get a second uh, announcement in two months' time? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. They might actually announce it and milk it for all it's worth later with a PS3 version and a Wii version, so that Lara appears on the new formats. Yeah. Or it, because it's a, basically the original Tomb Raider with the new gra- with the newer you know, graphics engine, it could come out on Marketplace. Yeah, that's true. There's no word on how big, how detailed, how expensive it's going to be. No, all the, all that's been announced is it's coming out. It's coming out on those formats, and we're going to use the uh, uh, the Legends graphics engine. But another thing now that I've uh, finally been seeing some details through is Halo Three. Finally, it's been talked about ever since the second one came out, but finally sort of official details of some of the new stuff in the game is uh, being released. Um, I say sort of official because it hasn't come direct from the game's developers Bungie, but it's come from a, an interview that they've had, uh, I think it was in the Swedish Games magazine. So it's kind of second-hand official information. 
Uh, but basically what details that have been given involve just a selection of new weapons, there's a new rifle, really cool new grenade called a spike bomb, which is like a nail bomb, which you could throw into walls and it explodes, sending nails out and just killing loads of bad guys in very nasty ways, which sounds quite good. New vehicles, get to drive uh, a new Mongoose ATV, sounds quite cool. Got no weapons on it, but should still be quite good. And they've uh, already given details for a few of the new multiplayer maps, a few other sort of multiplayer details coming through. Nothing specific, nothing really about the single player game, but finally starting to get some, like I say, borderline official information about what Halo 3 might actually contain. Well, I'm not the world's biggest Halo fan, which is going to be no shock for everybody who hates me for saying that I hated Graw. Um, Halo 2 was better, I will say that much. Um, it, it's just, I don't know, perhaps it's just me, but I always get the feeling of seeing it once, you know, it's been there, done that on so many different versions on of games on the PC, you know, it just sort of steals a lot of Unreal and Quake and loads of ideas. It could be good on the Xbox 360. Um, it's not on my uh, top five list of must-have titles, I have to be honest, but, uh, you know, I'll give it a go. Yeah, I mean, I know it's... Halo 2, I played that quite well. I never got into it in a in a huge, huge way, but it just always it just remains like the big Xbox or now Xbox 360 title that everybody's been talking about. Just been packed full of hype, speculation, and just blatant guesswork from various sections of the media. I'm not going to quote any names. Um, so it's just good to see that finally a few specific details coming through. Information maybe on a bit of a tweaking of the control system might be going on as well, might lead to another slightly different take on the way you can play the game and um, also got some details, there's going to be three different copies of it coming out, or three different versions you've got a standard version, a collector's edition and one fanboy's dreams called the legendary edition which is four discs, this is a video game, four discs containing commentaries, documentaries, uh, all the cutscenes from all of the games and coolest of all, only if you're a fanboy, if you're not just a little bit tragic, comes with a little replica Master, Master Chief helmet, little hat that he wears in the game. Get one of those free with your Legendary Edition. Sounds classic. I might give it a miss, though. I must rush out and buy that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm sure people will love it, but you know, I would have thought that you know the standard, the other you know sort of general tin box version was going to be plenty enough for most people. Well, it's not life size anyway. So unless you, I don't know slightly impaired in a slightly dodgy way. It's just not going to happen. As everyone knows, Call of Duty 3 is out on the major formats at the end of this week. PC owners are up in arms and disgust because they're not getting it. However, they're going to be up even more in arms because there's going to be Call of Duty Roads to Victory on, of all things, the PSP. Now, Roads to Victory is basically going to be the same Call of Duty type game that everybody loves. It's going to take place in World War II. It's going to thrust you in uh, the boots of an 82nd Airborne Division Infantry Soldier, um, a Canadian First Army Rifleman, and an elite British Parachuting Regiment Commando. Yes, that's a, more of a mouthful than you can ever imagine. Anyway, you're going to get loads of unique uh, challenges, including mounted machine gun battles, sniper encounters, and aircraft attacks. Still a bit of a blow for all those PC fans that wanted a Call of Duty game this year, but PSP, it seems to be picking up a bit of steam on some of these releases. PSP's getting some good games coming through now. It's a shame that the PC guys are missing out. 
Oh, it's a shame that PSP is the format that they're writing on. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a niche market, you know. You, where's it going to stop? Are we going to see Call of Duty, the DS game, and you know, um, so on and so forth? It's it's um, a bit just a bit weird that you know of all of all the you know platforms that are being robbed of a game, it's the PC one, which is one of the one formats that you really want this kind of game because it's it's you know arguably best suited for it. Yeah, it's ideal for the PC. It's an awesome game. I don't know why they've skipped it. I don't know. Maybe they just slipped off their to-do list. They just missed it out or something. Uh, perhaps there'll be Call of Duty 3. This version really rocks with extra missions for the PC. Yeah, probably. Then everybody else, all the console fans will be guided. They've missed out and the PC fans will be having the last laugh. This week's Games Review. Okay, for the best part of this week, or well, for, for a bit of this week, I've been playing WWE Smackdown versus Raw 2007. Don't know how into your wrestling games you are, I can't say I particularly was, but I, I've been giving it a go, seeing what it's like, and um, to be fair, it hasn't been all bad. Um, I wasn't expecting a lot of it, I wasn't a big fan of it when it was on the, the PS2, but I was playing it on the, the Xbox 360, changed the controls around a little bit, which might sort of um, put off some of the old school PlayStation gamers who were quite happy with the standard button bashing techniques that went on. Changed it, put in an analog control system, so using the thumbsticks a lot more, which I, I kind of got, got to grips with quite quickly, and it works quite well. It makes a lot of the moves look quicker, a lot easier to do. I've got to stop saying easy to get to grips with, because that's what the controls are there for. But yeah, they've kind of spried up, made it look really good, giving it a bit of a an EA-style presentation makeover, so it looks really nice. Once you can get used to throwing the moves, the, uh, some pretty cool action to be done, even if it can get a little bit repetitive maybe in the middle. Best of all, you can get into the crowd a lot more. There's a lot more stuff that you've got to smash each other around the face with, to throw around. You can get amongst the crowd, pick up, you got as well as chairs and tables, you can pick up fire extinguishers. You can hit the crowd around the head with their own science. It's that kind of stuff that just, it makes us more than a fighting game. It's like, it, it becomes an event. I mean, it's, it's a game that can be annoying as hell at times because you can get battered and that very little uh, comeback to the reversals and all that kind of stuff. Just an absolute nightmare to get used to if you're a newcomer to the game. But once you can get past that, it's it's a lot of fun. Not perfect, not an ideal game, but it's it's wrestling. If you like wrestling, it does the job. If you don't, I don't know, you might want to give it a miss. I wouldn't recommend you to rush out and buy it straight away as a must-have game. I'd give it a 7 uh, as a casual gamer, 8 if you're a wrestling fan. Whether that means you want to go out and buy it, I don't know, but it's definitely worth a look. Well, I've been playing Guild Wars Nightfall this week. Um, this is the third campaign, and most people probably know that I've gone through the first two campaigns um, completely. Uh, I was kind of looking forward to this. Now, I originally reviewed the second campaign, which was Factions, and, and raved about it. But the, after well, a couple of months playing it, you tend to find that it's actually quite limited. Um, this particular title, Nightfall, came out on Friday. Uh, only went live online Friday, so I've only had a few days to play with it. And it's very good. It's very reminiscent of the very first game, Prophecies. So if you if you if you liked Prophecies but didn't like Factions, you're automatically going to really get a lot out of this particular title. They've actually shaken up a lot of the gameplay from stupid things like the introduction of new colours of dyes, which are brown and white, um, which allows you also to have a preview when you mix them to colour your armour, to a lot of the other things such as templates for your builds. Now, if you don't know what a build is, it's basically a set amount of skills that you have because when you go out on a mission, you can only take eight of the skills that you have. Now, 
If you're, a, say, a necro or a monk, you'll have a set build where you are actually having um, very specific skills for the mission you're going out on. An example is if you're a necro and you're going as a, a, what's called a minion master, you'll take various ones that relate to making minions, ones that heal, ones that will heal you, like um, uh, vampiric gaze, so that you can get your health back. But you'll always sort of default to those eight, and that's your build for that particular type. Or if you're a monk, you'll have a smite build, or a heal build, or a protection build, or whatever. But in the previous games, you had to actually start from scratch. You had to put all your skills off and put all them back on again and change your attributes. But now you can do it as a template. So you just click load, select the template that you've already made, change your armor pieces over, what have you, and you're good to go takes a lot of time out of it. The actual com campaign itself seems to be quite vast. You start off on the training island and once you go across to the mainland you start hitting the level 20-24 characters um, and the challenge really picks up. It has a lot of similarities there with factions because the factions did the same thing. You had the island which basically was the training for, you, for your character to, to quickly level up and get across and once you're across then the real challenge kicked in. But as I said it's only gone live on Friday and I haven't actually managed to get that far into it. I'm probably, I've mapped 20% of the actual world and I've done about three or four of the main missions. There's 20 main missions and about 250 odd quests and it's really, really good. But like I said, they've tweaked the engine. It's more of the same from the first game. It's less of what people hated in the second uh, campaign and graphically it looks really lush. It's uh, an African backdrop as opposed to the uh, Asian look of the sec uh, second game and the sort of general mishmash of all different types of environments of the first one. Basically, if you're a fan of Guild Wars uh, but you hated the second one, or even if you were lukewarm over the second one, you really should go and get this. Uh, it is very good, there's lots to do, um, and the complete overhaul of the, the, the game engine and mechanics is well worth investing in. I've got the Collector's Edition and I'm still going to give it 9 out of 10. Anyway, we've got some really good news at the end of the podcast, some exciting gaming competitions that you'll probably be interested in. I'm sure. We've got copies of Need for Speed Carbon on the PC. Cool. We've got a copy of PlayStation 2 Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Excellent. And something that you're really going to dig, Xbox 360 and PlayStation 2 copies of Call of Duty 3. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I win now. Anyway, those are going to be at the end of the podcast, so stick around and have a listen. I've been Seth Gecko. And I've been Ian Collin. And that's your gaming news and reviews for the week. The biggest news and the best, best reviews. Best reviews. Hard, tiring work. You're listening to the AV Podcast. For real AV talk, this is the AV Podcast. So it's time again this week to catch up with Home Cinema Choice Editor, Steve May. So Steve, what have you been up to this week? Well, we've been uh, watching a lot of HD on uh, Blu-ray, and it's been very interesting. We've had both of the players in now. We've spent some time with the Panasonic and with the Samsung. And more interestingly, we've spent quite a lot of time with the uh, UK discs that have been released today. And uh, they're fascinating. So what's been so fascinating about the UK discs that you've seen so far? I think the really fascinating thing is how unpredictable the discs are. We've had uh, all of the Sony Pictures releases. They're all MPEG-2 codec, but they're very dissimilar. We've got Into the Blue, which from an HD point of view is very poor. 
and we have SWAT, also MPEG-2, which looks terrific. So that tells us very little about the codec, really. Now, more interestingly, we've had the first two releases from Fox, which use the H.264 MPEG-4 codec. Uh, this is Kiss of the Dragon and Fantastic Four. And they look absolutely terrific. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that once the studios move across to uh, the MPEG-4 codecs or VC1, we're going to see a big improvement in the quality of the Blu-ray releases. That seems to be the big hot potato at the moment, certainly on the forums, um, and continuing on from our talk with Don Eklund from Sony last week, is the issue of codecs. So what's, what's your personal opinion on what you've seen so far in, in codec terms? I had a very interesting chat with some of the senior Panasonic engineers in Japan, and uh, Panasonic have their own authoring and uh, compression tools that they're selling to the movie studios, which are all based on H.264. And they, they were under the, impre- uh, the impression that the Sony Pictures releases had come to market as MPEG-2s because Sony was really very keen to uh, release material as quickly as possible. And it was the MPEG-2 codecs and authoring tools that they had at their disposal. They really didn't have any choice in, in terms of what the early releases were, were going to be. And that, makes a lot of sense to me. There's lots of talk about Microsoft's uh, VC1 codec as well. Have you had a look at any Blu-rays in that codec yet? Now, the only VC1 stuff I've seen is on HD DVD, and that's uniformly good, uh, typically better than any of the early Blu-ray releases. So I, I, I agree. I think it's a tremendous uh, form, uh, format for encoding and holds a lot of promise, I think, for, for both formats. One of the interesting things that um, I saw for myself last week when I had a little trip down to London was to actually see Black Hawk Down on Blu-ray versus the actual master tape that was used, the D5 master. And to be honest with you, Steve, I couldn't really pick out uh, a great deal of difference between the two when they were playing side-by-side on separate screens. Um, It seems to be that when it's done right, MPEG-2 looks good. And from what you're saying, for what you've seen so far there's certainly some titles in MPEG-2 that look good. Do you think it's about time that they dropped the MPEG-2 side and and went with other codecs, or do you think they should maybe spend a little more time in the actual encoding process? I think clearly if you do spend time and you have good assets, MPEG-2 can look tremendous. As I say, SWAT, as one of the early releases, looks very good indeed, and it's comparable with the, the best of the HD DVDs and uh, the Fox Blu-ray releases. Um, So I think there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the codec, but the sooner we get a a consensus on uh, the more economic and forward-thinking codecs, VC1, H.264, the more space I think we're going to have on both format discs for the extras, the nice supplemental material. So there's a lot to be said for that move across. And for whatever reason, they are looking better generally than MPEG-2. So I think we're seeing MPEG-2 at the moment because it's convenient to author and encode in that format, but I can't see it being around for long, and there'll be quite a lot of studio pressure, I think, to to move to more efficient codecs uh, as the uh, market progresses. So moving on to the players themselves, you've had the Panasonic uh, BD-10 and the Samsung BD-1000 to play with. What do you think about the two machines and, and what differences are there between them? The, the, the Samsung is a good, solid player. It's had 
quite a lot of bad press generally. Um, I think as people were disappointed with the performance they were seeing from the machine. But once you've updated the firmware or you've uh, you bought the UK spec player, you'll, you'll get quite a nice machine. It clearly isn't worth a thousand pounds, but these these are earlier adopter market products, so they're, they're obviously going to carry a price premium. We've looked at the uh, Panasonic, and I think that's the nicest of the, the two machines. Picture quality is marginally better, has the advantage of uh, compatibility with DVD audio, so there's a little bit of a, a bonus if you have any DVD-A discs. Uh, uh, but again, it's not 100%. It doesn't have Ethernet connectivity, so you can't access BD Live, and that becomes a feature next year. It's an early adopter machine that maybe, I think, uh, will only come into the UK in very limited quantities. It'll be interesting to see how long we have to wait for those second-generation machines. Not too long, I suspect. And ending this week on a little bit of bad news in the in terms of rumours, um, although Toshiba have yet to mention this uh, officially, but big rumours that the HD DVD players have actually been pushed back from their release dates. Could be the case. We're, we're still waiting on, our, on the uh, review samples to come in. And every time we touch base with our friends at Toshiba UK, they're always seemingly a week or so away. So there does seem to be a little bit of a delay. Now, we were all expecting the, the higher-end player with the HDMI version 1.3 to, to not actually make an appearance this year. We thought that that would be delayed till early 2007. But we were hopeful that the, uh, the cheaper machine would come in. No sign of it yet, though. So that's the state of the, the HD scene at the moment. Where do you see things going um, once we get Christmas out of the way then? Well, I think we're going to see uh, more interest, I think, in the, in the formats generally. I'm hoping that we'll get an early view of the second generation machines heading for Europe. I don't think they'll be too far away. I, my guess is you'll see them early spring uh, from Blu-ray. So these machines that we have now are, are really the vanguard and it's quite a soft launch for the format generally. And we're going to see a lot more interest in, in 1080p screens. We've just had the uh, Panasonic 65-inch into the office, which wasn't easy because it's a very big piece of glass. Uh, and that's tremendous. We used the Panasonic 65, actually, which is a 1080p screen, to uh, compare the uh, two Blu-ray players. Very nice piece of kit. £8,500, but very, very nice. So I think interest in 1080p will grow, particularly now the uh, Xbox 360 and the... HD DVD drive have been updated in firmware to deliver 1080p gaming and movies. It's going to be a big buzz, I think, in 2007. So, Steve, just to uh, finish up this week, what's coming up in Home Cinema Choice this month? Well, if you if you go down to your news agent and look for issue 136, uh, just to give us a little plug, um, you'll find uh, a very large feature, really covering all the things which are the big buzz on the forums at the moment. Uh, the HD DVD versus Blu-ray uh, debate, who's going to win. We've asked all of our contributors and gone to uh, various industry seniors and asked for their insight as well. And I think a more uh, diverse and untogether collection of thoughts you'll be hard-pressed to find. It just goes to show that even when you get everyone in a room and you ask them the same question, no one really has got a fix on where this, this particular market is going. Steve? Thanks very much for joining us again this week and we'll catch up with you next week. Okay, take care. Brought to you by AVForums and AVPlay.com. Oh my God!
my God. Is there nothing you people can't do? This is the AV Podcast. Jason's Gadget of the Week. As regular listeners to the AV Podcast will know, each week uh, I give you a little behind-the-scenes glimpse uh, at what I've been up to. Recently, of course, I've been talking almost exclusively about my time on The Gadget Show. And uh, this week is no different, if not only because I have news of my own experience of the console that everyone wants, the PS3. It was a complete surprise to me when uh, last week in the studio, Susie and John, my co-presenters on the show, pulled a PS3 out from under the sofa. The previous week, I'd had the same treatment bestowed on me, but in the shape of a Nintendo Wii. And, uh, and so I'm now in, in the unique position, really, to be one of the world's only journalists to have played all three of the uh, seventh generation consoles, as they're now being called. So, PS3, is it any cop? Uh, yes, in a word. A lot bigger than you probably expect. You know, about the, the size of a, of a kind of um, recent generation VHS recorder. Maybe a little bit smaller, but, but certainly a chunky device. Although, someone did remind me uh, in uh, Curry's today, when I was chatting to them about this, that um, the Xbox 360 would probably be that size if it wasn't for the power converter, which comes, you know, uh, in its own little case. So, maybe it's not that big, but a lot bigger than I expected. And, of course, most of us are familiar with the form factor of the PS2. And so, we forget the original PlayStation 2 was actually a hulking great device until it was slimmed down for the kind of version 2. I played several games, and one of the things that I would say they shared was um, were, were very long load times. And uh, not that I, I think this is a problem, because, you know, it's almost, I don't know, it must be what it's like walking into a cathedral for a Christian. I mean, that's what it was like for me, sitting there with this, uh, this thing that everyone's talking about, knowing that we're the only TV show in Europe, let alone the UK, to have one. And actually having a genuine, well, I'd say bodyguard, but it was actually a console guard, stood behind me, you know, waiting to whisk this machine off when I'd had my kind of three hours with it. So load time didn't affect my enjoyment, but um, it was interesting. It was definitely a factor. You could feel the weight of the data. Another thing I would say in terms of a kind of gamer's instinct for what was different about this hulking monster of a machine uh, was the amount of characters on screen. I forget the name, which I know is is shocking for the AV podcast. I'm sure you'll be able to fill in the blanks. Uh, But essentially, you're riding dragons around and um, kicking ass with a dragon. And... I flew over this bridge, and the bridge looked like one of the scenes from Lord of the Rings. I mean, what I think is interesting about the PS3 is it's doing stuff with characters who kind of flock together or are capable of individual action. Um, it's doing stuff that they've only been able to do in movies for like three years, let alone in, you know, in the Gadget Show studio or your bedroom come March 2007. And that's incredible. The amount of particles running around left, right and centre, the amount of individual characters. Um, we're talking about you know, warfare on a kind of um, squadron level, you know? You know, just thousands and thousands of individual soldiers all flocking into battle in various vehicles, or in my case, on dragons. And I think that's going to be one of the defining features of of the the next-gen consoles. And to a certain extent, Xbox 360 does it as well with uh, 99 Nights. That's another example of what I'm talking about. I'm calling it, you know, kind of flock gaming. There you go. That's my my little phrase that I've invented for it. Because the notion is that you don't just, um, you you know, it's not a a one-on-one beat-em-up. You're talking about a huge gaggle of characters. And that does feel epic. Um, Although graphically, nothing about PS3 and the games that I played. One of the other titles, for example, was Resistance Fall of Man. None of the titles that I played um, suggested its greatness. They, They hinted at it. 
but they didn't um, blow me sideways in terms of their graphical splendour. Although I would say that Resistance Fall of Man couldn't be achieved on a PC. I think that's a fair thing to say. I reckon if you got a kind of, uh, I forget what NVIDIA's um, lineup is, where you've got the SLI connection, you can put, I think you can put four of them in line, can't you? So you've got four graphics cards running. You might be able to get close to the graphical splendor of Resistance Fall of Men, which is kind of like, a, it, it's like Call of Duty with a kind of alien makeover. So, um, you know, while none of them were a religious experience, as I've said in my, in my blog this week, um, they were pretty impressive. But I will say this, if you know your PlayStation history, then you'll know that every time one of the platforms has been released, the launch titles have, have never done it justice. It's always taken a kind of six-month cycle after launch for the machine to really show its metal. And this machine just feels like a big-ass five-litre Pontiac, you know, rather than a kind of nippy sports car, which is, I guess, what you'd ex- well, how you'd ex- explain the PS2. There's just, it's just got muscle, it's got depth. And you can feel it. As a gamer, you've got the instinct. You know how quickly menus take to load. I'm not talking about load-up time from a game. I'm talking about when you're into the system, you know. You can feel the prowess, the agility, the athleticism of this machine. Uh, And that's a very exciting experience. One thing I will say that I found was very interesting, the interface. Uh, It's a PSP. Now, I don't know whether I've got a pre-release version in the studio and that that's what I'm, uh, I'm going on. I'm not sure whether the retail version will look exactly the same, but assuming it does, it's the, it's the PS3 interface, you know, with the kind of swirly graphics uh, and the icons that go uh, horizontal and vertical, which I thought was quite interesting. They're obviously trying to push PSP off the back of PS3. Anyway, um, as I experienced PS3 uh, throughout the year, uh, I'll make sure I let you know here, at AV Podcast, and um, you can also check out my blog uh, for pictures of the aforementioned first-time experience. That's jasonbradbury.com. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. And now it's time for this week's competitions, and we have six of them for you this week, and they're all fabulous prizes. And starting off with the Empire Movie Quiz, which is in the shops on November 13th and features over 1,200 questions from every area of the movie world, from Star Wars to Seven Samurai. You can fly solo or team up with your friends and families in your quest to win the Empire 5 star rating. We have three copies to give away, so for your chance to win, just answer this simple question. Name Kate Winslet's debut movie. And next up we have one copy of the New Avengers box set which features every episode from series 1 and series 2 and is released on DVD on the 30th of October. So to win yourself a copy of this box set just answer this question. Name the three lead characters in the New Avengers. And finally for our DVD competitions we have a copy of Shameless Season 3. This two disc box set follows the exploits of the Gallagher family. To stand a chance of winning this box set, answer this simple question. Which UK city is the series set in? To stand a chance of winning any of those prizes, head over to theavforums.com slash competitions. And next up is our gaming competitions, and the first one is Need for Speed Carbon on the PC. And we have three copies to give away. All you have to do is answer the following question. Can you tell us what year Need for Speed Most Wanted was released? And next up is the Marvel Ultimate Alliance on the PS2. In this game it gives you the chance to play whichever superhero you fancy, from Spider-Man to the Fantastic Four to Wolverine, Blade 
and Thor. And to win yourself a copy of this, just answer the following question. Name the Marvel superhero that Nicolas Cage is playing in the forthcoming movie. And finally, we have Call of Duty 3 on the PS2 and the Xbox 360. This is a first-person shooter which is set during the Second World War. And to win yourself either a copy on the PS2 or the Xbox 360, just answer this simple question. In which country would you find Carrington? To win any of this week's competition prizes, or the competitions that we still have running, just head over to www.avforums.com forward slash competitions. You're listening to the AV Podcast. Oh, worth it. Totally worth it. And that's nearly all we've got time for for this week's AV Podcast. If you would like to leave us feedback, you can do so in the AV Forums Podcast Forum at avforums.com or you can contact us by email at podcast at avforums.com or why not leave a voice message on 0208 123 9587. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that just about wraps up this week's AV Podcast. This is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening. Stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. The audio-visual news was written by John Archer. Original music by Andrew Bassett. The AV Player Review Team were Chris McAnini, Cass Harlow, Simon Crust and Seth Gecko. The gaming news and reviews were presented by Ian Collin and Seth Gecko. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2N Limited.